Hello, fans and probably newcomers alike. Welcome to the wonderful world of Pokémon. So today is the release day of the new Pokémon games, Pokémon Scarlet and Violet. And I thought it would be just a cool idea to cash in on the popularity of this franchise and of the release date today. Maybe bring new listeners to the show, but more likely expose my existing listeners to a piece of media franchise that has heavy, intricate ties with biology and folklore. Most people know Pokémon from the anime and think that it's just, you know, a children's cartoon. Actually, it is a franchise of video games that spawned so much media. When you go into the video games and the design choices and the world building themselves, you start realizing that all of these cute little monsters have so many intricate biological, folkloric, and mythological inspirations. And a lot of them are fucked up as well. Yeah, listeners, this Pokemon episode is not for little children at all. Oh no. With all the folklore we talk about, I I am surprised that this media franchise is for children at all. So even if you are not a Pokemon fan, stay tuned. We're gonna be talking about balloons that kidnap children, ghosts of dead children who died in the forest and turned into tree stumps, Mothman ties to Pokemon lore, and even creepy music that may turn listeners insane. And I'm gonna play the music for you. But speaking of that, I need to say that Pokemon is not a property of myself. Obviously, it's a property of Nintendo and Pokemon Company and Game Freak. I used some sound clips from the games. I hope I'm not gonna be sued. I'm not making money off this and everybody is just doing the same thing. But for copyright reasons, I have to say uh, we are doing parody. We are doing commentary, criticism. We are even doing education because through some of the Pokemon we talk about, we are educating you about the wonders of the natural world, about humanity's animistic ties to the ecosystem, personifications of natural forces, and since Luke is on the show, a shit ton of lore. So, guys, today, a very special episode. I am release- releasing this on the release day of Pokemon Scarlet Scarlet and Violet. Man, I already fucked it up. That's what editing's for. Uh, well, I think that's what Nintendo will be saying. <laughs> we already fucked it up. They're going to release a glitchy game. Can we hear each other? Yeah, I can still hear you. Oh, man, just talk. You joke around. Oh. <laughs> oh, you've got me at a great time though now. I've still got a fever. So we're going to get yeah. strange Luke for this one. Oh, I'm going to call you Lukeman now. You just start a new podcast, Lukeman. <laughs> and listeners, if you did not realize, I have Luke Greensmith on again so we can appropriate more Japanese culture. <laughs> Well, there's a lot of interesting trivia and folklore connections within the Pokemon series, so I've been tagged in to help with that, and also it turns out that I am quite a bad nerd, so I've got some extra details to go into on that side. Are you aware that there is a podcast called Luke Loves Pokemon? No, I'm not. And it's Um, from a British dude. (laughs) It's not me. I don't think. <laughs> no, I got the B-lister Luke for my po- Pokemon episode. Oh, I was your second Luke for Pokemon, was I? Yeah. 
<laughs> well, uh, listeners, like I know that we're going to go now into very intricate Pokemon related stuff. And if you're not a fan of Pokemon, you're not going to understand any single word here. <laughs> no, no, we've got some good stuff here. I've even got a thing. I've even got a jumping off point to talk about the Mothman. We are good to go. The Mothman? We'll get there. Oh, okay. Why I want to do a Pokemon episode is because we originally did the Yokai and we intended to talk about Pokemon as Yokai. And then we just just did not because we went into many different directions so i'm like hey we should do a whole episode about pokemon though we can do like many episodes about pokemon there's so much out there where, where do we start like luke why why do you like pokemon so much oh um i do think there is a really strong broad appeal especially for kids and it's the same kind of fairy tale appeal because at the end of the day the pocket monsters you go and collect them you battle them you get really weird dumb storylines that are over the top but at the end of the day you're exploring a world of monsters that does resonate and there's plenty of them that actually do have correlations with either monsters or with aspects of nature and that all comes together it's a really good blend and a really strong ip yes i have been thinking you know how since pokemon came out i mean especially because of the anime in the west because uh, the pokemon games were not a big thing in the west until the anime there were all of these parent groups saying oh pokemon is satanist or whatever and then i'm thinking pokemon conveys animism a lot <laughs> and you even now, like, okay, they're not going to be saying it's Satanist, but what, what they're going to say that Pokemon is pagan. Because it really is, you know? <laughs> the Pokemon you, you can see as nature elementals, uh, spirit beings, or even yokai, and the whole Pokemon world revolves around relationships between humans and uh, these spiritual, natural creatures, um, magical creatures. Like, everybody is on equal playing fields as well. Yeah, there's a weird amount of spiritualism that's tapped into, and also just like other non Christian traditions, like especially just like having yokai. And as soon as you give it to a parents group that's desperately looking for a scapegoat, it's easy to point at it and go, it's a demon! And then <laughs> off goes another satanic panic. Yeah, it's very strange because we talked in our yokai episode, Westerners like to appropriate yokai as demons, and now they'd be appropriating Pokemon as demons and satanic. When they're nature elementals and spirits, it has nothing to do with satanism or god. Because it's Time a very... is a flat circle. Yeah. Uh, I, I love that there is such a huge IP that conveys animistic concepts to little children. When I was a child, I was always a biology nerd. I was not interested in stuff like Dragon Ball Z, where sweaty, uh, muscly men would be, you know, fighting each other and, and screaming off the top of their lungs. I wanted some kind of media that conveys not necessarily monsters, but magical animals, you know. And when Pokemon came out, that, that was the thing that attracted me. Wow. And especially because of the whole aspect of this whole world revolves around creatures, around biology, especially the anime. Every episode is oh, an adventure where you come upon this animal in, in the wild and learn how it adapts to its surroundings and how it lives. I mean, yeah, it's not exactly accurate evolution, but evolution as a concept is incredibly baked into the game, so if you're at all a child who is any kind of like bug nerd or just evolution nerd, anything to do with that, Pokemon has a very simple hook to get you. <laughs> yes, yes. Yes. <laughs> Teaching children not quite Darwinism since, what, 1996. <laughs> <laughs> and there's other little concepts in there, like um, bringing back to life dinosaur fossils. And um, there's lots and lots of little bits of science mythologized into the Pokemon world. Um, even pollution, even eco-activism uh, and stuff like that. I think the messages conveyed in Pokemon are very, very positive. I think it's very positive to introduce children to animistic 
thought because it promotes oneness with nature and promotes ecological thinking. Some of the ecological stuff is really on the nose as well. So I think it was Galarian, so Sword and Shield, Corsola, the coral Pokemon. It's a ghost mm-hmm. type because the coral in that area is dead. Then you go back another generation, you get Alolan Muk, so it's the North Hawaii, and it's a beneficial poison type, and it's based on real algae that feeds off and converts industrial human pollution into something that's safer for the environment. So there's loads of little things like that that always pop up here and there. Well, Gen 7 as a whole was very ecocentric because the whole plotline is around the, I can't remember the name of the real evil team of that generation. Yeah, because Team School was just outcasts and then you had the scientists who were just hell-bent on discovery for the sake of discovery and ignoring the natural order and just breaking down reality. Seems bad. Oh yeah, and they, they at first you think, oh, this is some kind of scientific uh, society that is working on Pokemon conservation, but by the end they end up the bad guys because the whole theme of uh, that generation, I mean, it's based on Hawaii and with the Ultra Beasts from, you know, these alien things from another dimension intruding on, on these islands, it's the theme of invasive species and this whole society uh, of conservationists, whatever, uh, this this cor- corporation is also an allusion to invasive species masquerading as doing something for the benefit of nature. Yeah, they're an outside force that talks a good game, but has very negative intentions or complete disregard for the local ecology in the local area. Mm-hmm. So what is your favorite generation of Pokemon? I hate to say Gen 1 because of how toxic uh. Gen 1ers are, but <laughs> I do really have that nostalgia because I played Pokemon Red and I watched a series when it first came out and I was there at the time. But on the flip side, I actually managed to finish the Pokedex, got the Poke Diploma, and then sold the game for a fiver to like one of the local game shops and just got a chippy dinner for me and my mum. So <laughs> there's a bit of a strange tension, there, like a bit of a gaming achievement and a bit of a what did you do? Because like if I just sat on that cartridge, it'd be worth a bomb by now. I'm trying to think why the most fun playing the most fun I had playing it as a whole was Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire. That was like peak Pokemon for me on the 3DS. Hmm, interesting. Because I don't hear much many people going back to Gen 6 now, retroactively. Yeah, I think the remake was hugely important, though, because of how much effort they put into bringing everything together into it, and there was a huge post-game that gave a lot of possibilities. And Game Freak are weird. They never seem to learn and iterate. They'll just, like, someone will spin the um, roulette of what we're doing next and just go off in a completely different direction. I would really love to see that kind of strong post-game brought forwards. They do seem to be getting better recently. Like, they um, they have the Wild Area and Sword and shield and then Arceus really was more of an open game and now we're coming into Scarlet and Violet and that's all wild areas so recent uh, Pokemon company Game Freak seemed to be getting it at last but there was a lot of wild years where you just get what you were given yeah but aren't you nostalgic for the you know sprite animation and uh, top-down perspective of the game nah what's the opposite of nostalgia where you want good stuff that's new instead <laughs> I mostly play now fan games and ROM hacks, so I am, you know, very into the Gen 3 <laughs> graphics. <laughs> My my favorite g- generation is Gen 5, and I played it the most. I don't know why. I think er- everybody hates Gen 5 for some reason, because it's like a ripoff of Gen 1, but th- that's the point. It's like the American version. <laughs> 
And it has, I think, the biggest, lar- largest number of new Pokemon of any generation. And a lot of them are very, very good. Yeah, like people who get obsessed with nostalgia forget that one of the best things about Pokemon is discovering new Pokemon. Yeah. So what is your favorite type? I absolutely love ghost type. I am very much all ghost type all the time. I'll always try and find ghost type in a competitive team. It's whatever. I just, because I just, I'm a spooky weirdo and that resonates with me. Huh. You see, I was thinking and thinking, Ghost is there like in my maybe top three types, but my favorite type is Poison, which mm. does not have a lot of lore attached to it. So I'm thinking, should we even go into Poison types in this episode? Ghost is a type that we should discuss Dark and Fairy as well. Yeah. Um, another of my favorite types is Bug, but that goes back to my, you know, uh, biological bias. <laughs> Yeah, but that's one of the hooks of the brand. You can't really disregard that. It's not that it's got one thing it does really well. It's got a selection of things that overlap really well. And it's just like an inescapable black hole just dragging the interest of children into it. Well, the thing is, like, every generation you get at least 100 new Pokemon. And as you said before we started recording, every Pokemon, however ugly and atrocious it is, is somebody's favorite. Like, even Garbodor. I love Garbodor. Everybody shits on it because for the listeners, who don't know Garbodor is a giant trash bag that is just leaking with <laughs> trash overflowing because it's ripped apart. And I love that thing. <laughs> Garbodor, the trash heap Pokemon. It clenches opponents with its left arm and finishes them off with foul-smelling poison gas belched from its mouth. They absorb garbage and make it part of their bodies. They shoot a poison liquid from their right-hand fingertips. Consuming garbage makes new kinds of poison gases and liquids inside their bodies. It's absurd, but in a great way. Yeah, and it has a pipe for uh, an arm. It does also kind of tie into the yokai side mm-hmm. of Pokemon, which can get overlooked. And that's, again, um, what were they? The Tsukumogami. Tsukumogami, animated objects. Objects that have come to life. And that's yes. a huge through line of that in Pokemon. Uh, especially, okay, let's say with Garbodor, like the lore behind Tsukumogami in Japanese yokai folklore is that if you mistreat an object or leave it like for a hundred years, then it will... It will Will gain a spirit and become sentient. And with Garbodor, who is a trash bag, of course, that trash bag, uh, especially because it will not be, you know, reduced back into the ecosystem <laughs> because it's a plastic trash bag, it's going to stay out there for a century and then it will become a monster. Yeah, and that's got a really fun parallel with that traditional folklore and the ecological message that there's some rubbish we're not taking care of properly and we shouldn't be making it at all and it's just causing a problem. And there is a fun intersection there. So it's a garbage Pokemon, literally, but I think it's got some interesting merits to it as what it is and where it came from in design. Mm -hmm. And that's something in the design that's, I don't know if it's incorporated intentionally or unintentionally, or if we're making a fan theory here. Uh, Speaking as a writer, sometimes you just do it by accident. Like, it's subconscious and it sneaks in. Yeah, well, is that maybe a part of their culture? Because Game Freak are mostly, you know, Japanese, and Tsukumagami are a part of their culture, so it's like a Freudian slip when they're designing these creatures. If you're designing a trash bag Pokemon, then you would incorporate Tsukumogami elements because that's the culture you're you're basing this off of. Yeah, that's like what you grow up with. That's like why ghost stories are so pervasive and will turn up in rogue genres is that people grow up telling each other ghost stories. All of the iconic elements of fairy tales will turn up elsewhere because that is what you grew up on. And I do feel that that is a big part of the creativity within Pokemon. It's not just that so much it's an accident, but they've got a huge roster to 
to fill out and they're just going to be spitballing so many creative decisions and I do think that the Sukumagami is something you see on repeat again and again like you get Clef Key it's lost keys that have come alive mm-hmm. okay <laughs> Why not? well not necessarily because Clef Key is actually a fairy like entity that collects keys but still that conveys mm. then a traditional she folklore because I know I should not say fairy in front of you <laughs> <laughs> we're talking about fairy type okay but let's say it's a fairy type Pokemon that collects keys and that alludes to the traditional fairy lore of fairies taking souvenirs. Clef Key, the key ring Pokemon. This even-tempered Pokemon has a habit of collecting keys. It will sneak into people's homes to steal their keys. Although it's unclear why it collects keys, giving it a key makes Clef Key very happy. However, it apparently only likes master keys. Long ago it lived in mines, but once the minerals that make up its diet became scarcer, Clef Key began appearing in human settlements. There's also a slight idea of, with that one, that it's engaging with something that would traditionally be a danger to it, and it's like some of like the evolution angle on there, with adaptation. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, I never thought of Klefki like that. And most people hate Klefki. They're wrong, Klefki's adorable. Yeah, and even that has so much elements in its design. <laughs> Again, we talk, everyone's got a favorite one. As much as people hate Klefki, I like Klefki. Huh. Well, it does nothing. It's just annoying. It puts up barriers and shit like that. That might be it. Actually, why don't you like Klefki? It's one of the Pokemon that got the prankster ability to cause oh. absolute chaos. Yeah, but then you have cooler prankster type uh, Pokemon. Like, um, uh, Lyperd has the prankster ability and it looks badass. Meh. Murkrow. Murkrow, yeah. If you like Murkrow, that is one of my my favorite things for causing chaos. <laughs> I liked when I was playing competitive Pokemon, but on Pokemon Showdown uh, online. I, I would like those, like, you know, the, the Rattata thing, where you have a level level one Rattata with a Focus Sash. And then Endeavor. Yeah. <laughs> And that thing can be killed. Yeah, you can't generally do that in a game, but it's hilarious when it turns up on Pokemon Showdown. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, I, I bet the listeners don't know what the fuck we're talking about, man. Yeah, yeah let's, let's, go- let's pivot. <laughs> let's pivot into ghost types. So are ghost types actually ghosts? Uh, that is a weird one, isn't it? I'd say uh-huh. that sometimes they are, but maybe not originally. That's part of the weird stuff with it, isn't it? Because you get stuff like Yamask, which explicitly is a Pokemon that comes from a person who died. Yes. So the ghost element is there. Ghosts are weird in Pokemon specifically because they're mostly agents of chaos as far as it goes. I see them more as the interdimensional type or something like that. Like they come from some other place or they can communicate with another place. Yeah, but then you've got the Ultra Beast as well. But again, when you come to like multidimensional aspects, you can have more than one. It's multi. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Uh, With the ghost types, what are some examples that you like the lore of? Oh, I was going to say this a bit later, but it's a great one. I like the really creepy messed up ones. So you get the Litwicks. They evolve and grow stronger by draining the souls of people around them. They're dangerous Mm -hmm. to be around. And for the listeners, this is a little cute candle with a blue flame. Yeah, cute little candle. And then it'll eventually start turning into like furniture. It'll turn into like a chandelier eventually. Being around its flame will drain the life out of people. And that's how they grow bigger and stronger. Litwick, the candle Pokemon. Litwick shines a light that absorbs the life energy of people and Pokemon, which becomes the fuel that it burns. While shining a light and pretending to be a guide, it leeches off the life force of any who follow it. 
The flame on its head keeps its body slightly warm, and this Pokemon takes lost children by the hand to guide them to the spirit world. The younger the life this Pokemon absorbs, the brighter and eerier the flame on its head burns. This is fucked up. Did you see the new ghost-type dog that's going to be in uh, the new games? Yes, and that seems to be explicitly doing the same thing with its candle yeah. when you look at the, pro- the preview It trailer. has a candle on its head. Uh, do, do you think that dog with the candle on its head is maybe based on the lore of corpse lights? I think there's all the ghost types do have that recurring symbolism. Like We had Litwick, and there's other lantern ghosts, and then ghosts are where you get the Will-O-Wisp ability for, even though it is a fire, it is a fire ability. Yeah. Will-O-Wisp is pretty express, is expressly Will-O-Wisp. It says it it's on it <laughs> isn't it interesting how vulpix and ninetales get will-o-wisp and they are associated with like ghostly type abilities but it's not apparent in their typing yeah the spiritual they're based on ninetale foxes yeah the kitsune yeah so there's loads and loads of layers and depth to all of this lore which is really fun to unpick you wanted to go into the dark type i do but one more really disturbing ghost type first mm-hmm. i've got another ghost type to come back to later but i've got a ghost dark type to talk about in a way that you'll be impressed with and enjoy We'll say that for a little bit later. First, okay. though, Driftlum. Do you know what Dr- Driftlum? It's a flying ghost. It's a bloom, but it's got like so much nightmare fuel is in the Pokedex that you can completely miss if you don't read it. Driftlum have a habit of pretending to be a normal bloom, and if a child grabs it, it will just fly away with them. It's like, oh well, so long, bye, child. <laughs> nice, happy Pokemon world. Nothing to see here. <laughs> Drifloon, the balloon Pokemon, a Pokemon formed by the spirits of people and Pokemon. It loves damp, humid seasons. These Pokemon are also called the signpost of wandering spirits, and children holding them sometimes vanish. Stories go that it grabs the hands of small children and drags them away to the afterlife. Though it dislikes heavy children, if for some reason its body bursts, its soul spills out with a screaming sound. Very fucked up. Okay, you know what you reminded me of in uh, in Pokemon Sun and Moon when you go out of a hotel or something, and in the forest there is this guy, you know, a trainer that you can battle. And when you start battling him, he says something like, "Don't come here, I will come to come to you," something like that. Mm. And he looks very creepy. And then he sends out a drift blim, <laughs> and I'm like, "What the fuck did the developers do here?" Like. <laughs> There's definitely an embedded member of the team who is just, like, the spooky one. And he's putting stuff in, like, the ghost that turns up in an elevator at random in one of the games. And it's just, he's an embedded member of the team. He's got, like, the Pokemon equivalent of uh, tenure, even though he's basically a horror writer that's just lurking in the background of the Pokemon franchise. Oh, man. A very popular ghost type from recent generations is Mimikyu. Oh, I love Mimikyu. I've actually got a um, plushy Mimikyu in my room. <laughs> and isn't that ironic? Because Mimikyu is essentially like a mascot or a plushie. And then you have, it's a, like a meta thing now. You have a plushie of a plushie. Yeah. <laughs> I like feel just sorry for Mimikyu. The very short version of Mimikyu for people at home. Mimikyu is an eldritch abomination that you can't, a person can't look at without their mind being destroyed and their soul sucked out. But all they want is to be hugged and loved. So they wear a, a Pikachu costume they made themselves so people will like them. 
Mimikyu, the disguise Pokémon. Its actual appearance is unknown. A lonely Pokémon, it conceals its terrifying appearance beneath an old rag so it can get closer to people and other Pokémon. Although it's a quiet, lonely Pokémon, if you try to look at what's under its rag, it will become agitated and resist violently. A gust of wind revealed what hides under this Pokémon's rag to a passing trainer, who went home and died painfully that very night. It stands in front of a mirror trying to fix its broken neck as if its life depended on it. It has a hard time getting it right, so it's crying inside. <laughs> but uh, its head constantly, like, tries to fall off. <laughs> because it's it's wearing a fake head on its body. So yeah, there's this wonderful mix of adorable and terrifying, and that just lands with me. <laughs> oh, another ghost type before we move on to dark type. Phantom. It's like a little tree, little um, carved effigy thing. It's uh -huh. the soul of a lost child. Like you say, are ghost Pokemon people or the dead? This is, express is expressly, in the Pokedex, the ghost of a child who got lost and died in the woods and then from the corpse grew this little tree that they then animate. Phantomp, the stump Pokemon. These Pokemon are stumps possessed by the spirits of children who died in the forest. Their cries sound like eerie screams. Uh, according to legend, medicine to cure any illness can be made from plucking the green leaves on its head, brewing them, and boiling them down to liquid. But by imitating the voice of a child, it causes people to get hopelessly lost deep in the forest. Though, it's trying to make friends with them. <laughs> okay, let's let's go to dark type then. So, what's the gist with the dark type? Because a Western interpretation is all oh, darkness and edginess, but in Japan, it's called the evil type. It's like a counterpart yes. to the fighting type. Yeah, they don't mess around. Dark type in Japan is just evil type. Now, that was localized over here for obvious sales reasons. Mm -hmm. And dark type Pokemon aren't always evil as far as it goes. So, I'm wondering if like there's some sort of cultural oddity going on there, and some sort of like spiritual zenness and balance going on with that one because dark does seem to sum them up quite nicely over here yeah i think the dark type conveys dishonorably fighting while the honorable type is the fighting type yeah so the dark type is like the the fighter who would throw sand in your eyes sand in your eyes throat punch crotch shot yeah. That's kind of what the, the vibe you get from Dark Type. But is it always because you then have Umbreon, which conveys just darkness and the moon? <laughs> darkness, the moon, and they evolve based on friendship. And then we've got the Mothman connection. Okay. In Dark Types, in Pokemon, you have Absol. And the law of Absol is that they will turn up when there's a disaster and so people blame them for the disaster but what it is is that they can predict disasters and they turn up and they try to warn people so that's the vague moth that's a reading of the mothman is that it's actually just a portent of the disaster and not the cause of the disaster absol the disaster pokemon it senses coming disasters and appears before people only to warn them of impending danger as a result it was mistaken as a doom bringer long ago superstitions were spread about it saying it brought disaster this fed a hatred of it, and it was driven deep into the mountains. Although it's said to bring disaster, in actuality this Pokemon possesses a calm disposition and warns people of any crises that loom. 
And that's what the law with Absol is, is that they can predict the disasters. They turn up and try to rescue people, and everyone hates the Absol because the disaster follows the Absol, but they're actually there trying to help. And w- why is it dark type then? That that opens the can of worms of, are we the ones assigning types to Pokemon? I think that is a good one to go down, and again, that's why I was wondering if the... I think the localization of dark is actually quite an interesting one that ad- injects a lot more nuance that would have been lost if it was called evil type in the West, where the satanic panic would kick off again like clockwork. <laughs> uh, hey, so... Okay, I'm not going to make this joke. Let's move you on. You want to, though. <laughs> no, don't go there. I'm going to cut that out. <laughs> the fairy type, how do you feel about that? Um, I mean, it works within its own context, and you actually do seem to take a lot on that. And you've got that wonderful synchronicity between yokai and the she, the way they work and the way they have lore. And fairy type fits a modern feel, a modern aesthetic of fairies as cute. Okay, but but it also, if you're talking about she as fairies, but also if you're talking about she, like the English word she as in feminine, because it's it's the girly type, the pink type. It's also the dragon murdering type, so you know, you gotta, res- you gotta respect the fairy. <laughs> like, there's so many fun bits of, like, fan art of these, like, little cutesy things terrifying the giant dragons. It's interesting to me, because before we started recording, we were talking about lore and what cool types we like and we did not mention the dragon type i never cared about the dragon type like if i wanted to play a game with dragons there's millions of games out there but that's not what interests me about pokemon yeah i started at gen one so i was immediately betrayed because dragonite looks really dumb charizard (laughs) isn't a dragon gyarados isn't a dragon it's like so i was immediate because i was there at the start of all this i was immediately betrayed and now you grew up to look like a dragonite (laughs) both of us (laughs) (laughs) but yeah it does look dopey and i prefer dragonair over dragonite because it looks so elegant yeah it's so nice before you get there but even the dragon like is very loose especially in uh, more recent generations they really (laughs) experimented with what a dragon is yeah it's not just experimenting lore wise they also need to experiment within game design and game balance so that does throw a few hurdles in the way i'm still waiting for a dragon fairy type that it's not that's not a mega evolution they'll get there eventually it's it messes with my ocd that they don't explore every possible option they don't try and balance things out but it does mean there's always room for more to do. Can you believe that there is still no rock ghost type, and yet they had Rune Regis? But they made it ground. <laughs> yeah, and they made it ground. Oh, man. Uh, did you hear, I don't know if I'm spoiling this to you, but there's going to be a ghost-type coin Pokemon. No, I didn't know that, but I'm not Yeah, it's like close. somebody lost a coin, and then the Tsukumogami thing. <laughs> I'm good with that. I, just bring on more Sukumagami. Uh, I'm also yeah. su- I'm also surprised that we haven't seen a uh, Casa Obake just yet, which is the specifically animated umbrella, which is a really huge, like iconic yokai that's everywhere in Japan. But it's not been plundered for Pokemon yet. I wonder if it's just too obvious for them, so they're not doing it. It has actually in Pokemon Insurgents, the fan game. <laughs> That's a fan game. <laughs> but yeah, I'd like to see uh, Kaso Obake, but how they would interpret it, because they would need to put some kind of spin on it to not make it an, an obvious umbrella, like they did for the Tengu with the whole CDOT line. Yeah, I mean, they do come up with interesting spins. They get slammed so much for like, oh, that's uncreative. It's another electric rat. And it's a case of, look, they've got a lot of Pokemon to make, guys, and they do keep coming out with bangers. It's fine. Yeah, but they made another hamster now. They could have made like, a capybara or a porcupine or something else. (laughs) There's always room for more electric hamsters. 
<laughs> so with fairy type, are they really tricksterish or are they more, you know, the girly type? Why not both? But I don't see many of them as tricksterish. Apart from, let's say, if you're thinking of Cliff Abel and the whole metronome thing, okay, whatever. Uh, the fact that they're so uh, weird being desserts, like you pointed out that there is the food taboo with fairies. So mm-hmm. again, they've kind of layered that where they've brought in the food taboo in the abstract, but it's mechanically more, we're going cutesy and girly it feels like they've just put that a few influences in a blender there yeah i think it's stupid that they did not retroactively make the whole vanillish line ice fairy they definitely should have been fairy yeah gen 5 had every ice type just mono ice type which is a terrible typing at the best of times and the animated (laughs) dessert should definitely have been fairy yeah exactly and then it would be quad weak to steal That's fine, because if you're going to go all in, go all in. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. When we talk about fairies as tricksters, like, just the fairies in general, what their typings do, like, we talked about it before in the recording, that they're weak to steal is really interesting. That's, like, high-fidelity she stuff, unless you, like, look at specific otherworldly creatures like Redcaps and the Nukalavi that don't have those weaknesses. But generally, iron is baying to them, and as is modern civilization, so pollution, poison type, is also a weakness of theirs, and that's really... I'd say it's actually quite good pop culture design. It's not going deep into she law, which wouldn't really fit the exploration of Pokemon, which is a bit more cutesy surface level, but it's nice it's there. I don't see it as conveying Shelor much. I don't see it utilized much, uh, except like with the Grimmsnarl line, which is intentionally made to convey Shelor because the whole generation is based on the UK. Also, it's another good prankster. Well, that's it. (laughs) I also like the motif of it being covered in hair that looks like muscles. Mm, That's the deception angle in there. You actually find it has some trickstering up in there. I also do feel like on a meta level, the tricksters, because dragon type is so overpowering, so overwhelmingly powerful, and then you bring on this weird flesh ribbon abomination that is a sylveon and it just screams at the dragon until it explodes it's like cool (laughs) (laughs) that is a spanner in the works of the natural order and that's where a bit of trickster comes in yeah that's uh, the trickster is there to rattle the cage a bit and to insert novelty so that aspect of it there is very strong like you switch in a furry type and just laugh as the big draco meteor does nothing and then you murder their dragon in response that's where the like completely overthrowing the expected order comes in how do you feel about pokemon that are supposedly aliens i suppose there's a bit of fun to be had in there but it feels like one of the worst things about the cryptic community managed to sneak into the pokemon franchise hmm. but it was there since gen one with starmie and staryu vaguely but starmie and staryu are also starfish but then you get stuff like um i forgot what it's called it's like lgm or something which is just like an alien and trench coat yeah and bem well lgm is L- lgm little green men <laughs> Ah, <laughs> oh, I missed that pun. The Japanese are on <laughs> are on fire when it comes to puns. The language is really great for it. But but th- that was Gen Five, so they needed to base it on American folklore. Nice. And then they put on you know those uh, what is it called, man? Those Japanese goth chicks. And I'm not talking about the Pokemon. I know Gothita, Gothrita, Gothital, but yeah. the fashion that originates yeah. from Japan, but you're incorporating it into an American generation. Yeah, I think I've no vaguely. I mean, there's a few different um, subcultures, so like uh, Harajuku girls and all sorts. But I yeah. don't think that's the right one. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, they also inserted with those dumb monkeys that one with the hairstyle of the Greece 
or biker guys from Japan? Uh, those monkeys were quite rubbish, though. They needed a third evolution to pan them out, because the stats are just too weak. Oh, we're going into the details again. We don't want details, we want lore. Okay, how about some urban legends, then? Does that fit the bill? Yeah, like in Gen 5, the, the lore that people used to mate with Pokemon. <laughs> oh, no, I think we've gone rule 34 there. <laughs> edit out, edit out. No one search this with safe search off. <laughs> no, I'm talking about a real-world urban legend. Okay. Have you not heard of Lavender Town Syndrome? Yeah, I have heard of it. I, I am now enticed to, in pro- post-production, put the music in the background. Oh, definitely do. <sighs> so the legend goes, this really creepy little tune, which is just great, like, little chip tune design from the composers. It's supposed to make some children go weird. And, like, even supposedly, like, there's an older version of it. There isn't. This is just all internet creepypasta. It's one of the first game creepypastas, basically. There's an older version of it that would make young children depressed and suicidal. And I think it's just, like, that people, like, when they were kids playing this, it really felt an impact. And you have, like, the, the fan theories that Gary's Raticate is dead and buried on um, the tower and little things like that. Mm-hmm. But it was just, like, this urban legend that, just, like, crept out and said, that spooky music was dangerous in some way. Yeah, and listener, you're now listening to <laughs> that music. So good luck with that, everyone. But again, <laughs> these little suicide legends pop up all over the place, and they're generally quite easy to debunk. We had one back where I grew up in Ormskirk in Lancashire, and we had a water tower that's really creepy. And so the rumor went that they had like a Ouija board there, and this one child, he went weird and he climbed up and he threw himself off. But the legend was a little bit suspicious when he turned up in school the next week perfectly fine. Okay, but the thing is, doesn't that downplay then mental illness? It does. When when these things happen, people then create an urban legend of, oh, this other thing, this external force caused this person to commit suicide. And you're constantly ignoring mental illness and and mental health issues. I would say that this severe lack of nuance is very in line with children exploring ideas. But Mm -hmm. really pushing it and taking it too seriously is very dismissive. And when it turns up as a theme in like media that's by adults for adults, you'd better be on top of it and give it the amount of nuance it deserves because it's incredibly dismissive of a lot of the trouble people go through yeah i also want to mention the lavender town syndrome myth sparks from the actual thing that happens related to pokemon related to the porygon episode uh, poor porygon it's in the guinness book of world records as the tv show that caused the most epileptic seizures oh yeah and here's the thing the poor porygon never recovered its reputation and the weird thing is it was actually pikachu that caused it in the episode. Yes. Pikachu's yes. electric yes. attacks in the digital world would rapidly oscillate between blue and red, and that was what was triggering the um, photosensitive reactions. Yeah, but the Japanese anime at that time was using these effects constantly, and it just so happens that Pokemon was the one that caused the mass seizures. Yeah, it's a very strange... Like, photosensitivity is very unusual, in that, like, to a layman, stuff you can look at looks like it'd be a problem, but you give it to a specialist it'll come back and they'll go no that one's fine there's very specific things you should not do that are highest risk and they just without consulting they just went oh we're doing a vr world episode let's do this and this and this and then just put it out without checking it and cause absolute bedlam it's one of the banned episodes there's like this comes to mind there's three episodes of pokemon that are banned in the west hard banned um another one where james has titties uh, yeah the the one where james is just bouncing around with big breasts 
That's banned. They're, they're, they're having none of that. And then there was one and with a old and, Jinx episode b- before Jinx turned purple. I think they just color corrected that one. But the other one that's uh-huh. full on banned and can't be fixed is a Safari Zone episode where they have like oh, an yeah. American game warden who has a gun and just points it at everyone. And it's like, yeah, let's, yeah. let's not give that to children. <laughs> and yet, uh, Team Rocket can constantly shoot out of bazookas in every episode. Bazookas are a bit daft. They're normally like net bazookas or whatever. Whereas this was flat out just a, a um, a pistol and he was threatening to kill people with it like, okay yeah. <laughs> that's just how the japanese see americans and i think the banning was out a bit of a huff to that one. Oh, i think also it was not perma bands but unfortunately the tenta cool episode where it was demolishing buildings oh yeah came out around 9-11 yeah so it was just it was very japanese very innocent it was a kaiju reference of a giant tentacruel and it had very bad timing around real life disasters and it just went let's shelve that one and i think it's back like if you get the dvds it'll turn up it's relatively innocent and it's very much in japanese culture for giant monsters but it had very poor timing stateside okay is there any in-game lore like not related to a specific pokemon species but related to the whole world that you're interested in i've got two more pokemon to talk about and oh actually there is one general one this is a good general one before we move on to that and that is that every fire starter has a correlation with the chinese zodiac uh yeah uh, but not the new starter that's coming out <laughs> we've not seen the final evolutions of that yet uh we know based on leaks some of the leaks might be weird and also some of the connections are weird you know like um cinderquill was the mouse yeah yeah do you know the leak of the new fire starter I don't yet. I've seen some... Okay, um, I'm, I'm not going to spoil it then. Yeah, I've seen some fan ones, so I know that there were fan ones because they were massively over-designed. If it looks like a Digimon, it's not a Pokemon. Okay, so I was... A few months back, I have been going through the leaks constantly, and now that they're announcing so many new Pokemon, all of them are actually from the leaks, hmm. so the leaks are accurate. <laughs> So I actually know thematically what all the new Pokemon will be now. It's a a sorry situation they managed to do a combo breaker on that one. That was one of the best bits of Pokemon trivia. I think we should bring this up because I'm a biologist. So everybody lost their shit over uh, Wiglet. Did you see Wiglet? Yes, the divergent evolution. I thought that was a great Uh thing to bring in. And it's not even an evolution. It's like a brand new Pokemon, just a divergent species. Oh, it's divergent species, convergent evolution. It just happens to be. Sorry, convergent, yeah. Yeah, convergent species and uh, listeners, not listeners, but Pokemon fans who are into Pokemon because of non-biology reasons don't know what convergent evolution is. And then they lose their shit over this because they don't understand how intricate and cool this is, actually. Yeah, I, I got that straight away and I thought it was great. And I was looking at people complaining about it and I was just thinking to myself, learn something. It's good for you. Yes. <laughs> yes, learn something about the real world because uh, nature is not as creative as we think. <laughs> oh no, you know what? This actually works with like on a meta level across the entire Pokemon series. There's uh-huh. always crabs. What does nature do? There's always crabs. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, what do you think about the Pokemon cosmology with all the legendaries and gods and whatnot? They mostly annoy me because I play competitive and they're really boring, too strong and too good. So I've got like that gamer problem. Well, sorry. So you're highly annoyed by Zacian because Zacian is the best Pokemon ever and you're going to see it on every team. I'm most annoyed by Landorus. That thing's stupidly good. Hate it when that turns up anywhere. Well, Landorus used to be very good, but now there are a lot of counters to it. I know that Zacian is now like the unbeatable one. Yeah, there's a few things that'll turn up like that and it can be annoying. I prefer playing without legendaries where possible. Rather saying that, I, le- I really like guys 
Pyratina. Because again, ghost type. And then you get your ghost dragon, king of all evil. That one vibes with me. The Satan of the Pokemon world. Yes. <laughs> Just casually bring Satan and God on your team. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> okay, there's two Pokemon I really want to like highlight. Okay. You've mentioned it before, Banette. I love the concept of Banette, the discarded toy that then gets infused with a spirit, comes to life, and it starts hunting the owner that threw it away. I like that. Baynet, the marionette Pokemon. It's a stuffed toy that was thrown away and became possessed, ever searching for the one who threw it away so it can exact its revenge. Resentment at being cast off made it spring into being. Some say, though, that treating it well will satisfy it and it will once more become a stuffed toy. However, Baynet generates energy by laying strong curses by sticking pins into its own body. Extraordinary energy amplifies its cursing power to such an extent that it can't help but curse its own trainer. Okay, but is it a Sukumogami or is it more of a grudge thing? I would say that it's one of those why not both at this point. Like, there is a fair bit of overlap. And I just like evil toys. It's a horror thing, I think. And sometimes very random spiritual spirituality will creep into Pokemon. So we've got Spiritome. So first of all, I like this on a very surface level. It's a dark ghost got interesting typings and defenses it's just good at causing chaos in competitive but then we've got where the spiritual side comes in so i pulled this up on a, like off of a website before and spirit home is composed of 108 spirits its pokedex number is 108 and it weighs 108 kilograms and the thing is that 108 is an important number in buddhism it's the number of temptations that have to be overcome to reach nirvana so spirit home is based around this idea it's really really tied into this the buddhist temptations that you have to actually overcome and like it's it's an embodiment of all those temptations Spiritomb, the forbidden Pokemon. Exactly 108 spirits gathered to become this Pokemon. Apparently, there are some ill-natured spirits in the mix. All Spiritomb's mischief and misdeeds compelled a traveler to use a mysterious spell to bind Spiritomb to an odd keystone. It was bound to the fissure of an odd keystone as punishment for misdeeds 500 years ago. It lays curses by thinking wicked thoughts. <laughs> Yeah, and it's, it's 108 spirits that are locked into this tomb, and that's your Pokemon, and it's like, you find it on Route 108 in Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire. In Pokemon Go, you need to feed 108 berries to Pokemon and catch 108 Pokemon, and it's all about these trials and tribulations that are tied into Buddhism and the concept of Nirvana. You've got this evil ghost thing, which represents the tribulations, or the trials. Tribulations are a good thing, it's the trials. Blech. And th that goes into yokai folklore, because yokai are not just always a single entity. They can be multiple multiple entities at once they can be a whole group of something they can even be like a natural event like a whole tidal wave as a yokai or something like that um a force of nature anytime you see multiple pokemon being an evolved pokemon that's very much again coming around to the yokai foundation of the franchise but you know not necessarily so my favorite pokemon ever is magnemite hmm. and when it goes into magneton it's like three magnemites fused together but how i see it is an allusion to how the evolution of multicellularity went uh, with algae let's say you have single-celled algae and then they started living into in colonies and then when you go to magnezone these individual magnemites are of different size and shape because they specialized and are part of a multicellular system now you know just like with multicellular organisms <laughs> 
Magnemite, the magnet Pokémon. The units at the sides of its body generate anti-gravity energy to keep it aloft in the air. It moves while constantly hovering. It also discharges Thunder Wave and so on from the units at its sides. Magnemite attaches itself to power lines to feed on electricity. If your house has a power outage, check your circuit breakers. You may find a large number of this Pokémon clinging to the breaker box. I would honestly say it's probably both, because very clearly there are yokai elements running all the way through it. Very clearly there are biology elements running through everything. Yes. And then locked in a cupboard somewhere, you've got the horror guy who they unleash on the Pokedex for flavor every now and again, but he's part of the undercurrent. He's a subtext. The main two things you need to look at, whenever, especially when a Pokemon appears to be weird, is the idea of the animism and the idea of natural biology. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I recently had a professor of anthropology on my show and we were talking about animism and we went into a whole discussion about symbiosis mm. and how spirits can be you know individual personalities you know as nature elementals but they can also establish symbiotic relationships with each other or with humans like uh, mediums and channelers who establish symbiosis with an entity i see that uh, conveyed in pokemon because there is the symbiotic relationship between pokemon and humans in this world even direct ones with pokemon and other pokemon when it comes to evolution there's mm-hmm. it's a huge element and it's really interesting to unpack and that's why we're doing this episode um how how do you feel about the taming aspect because that's the only aspect of pokemon where i'm like okay that's a bit questionable so how does that tie to traditional folklore the taming i suppose there's certain keys of like purification there's following rules and getting rewards but i think that even the pokemon people realize it is a bit of an issue and they've really emphasized in gen 5 yeah they've really emphasized how important friendship and making real bonds is yeah but that's what i'm saying when i say taming you are capturing natural creatures and balls and then using them as tools so okay again with dr hunter i went into to how religion is a domestification of the paranormal. The paranormal is a wild force of nature. Mm. But humans domestif- domesticate the paranormal to use it as a tool for their own purposes. And that's then religion. So can we see Pokemon as that? Like you are catching Pokemon to domesticate natural forces and then work together with them. Not necessarily like a bad thing, but again, as a symbiosis. Yeah, I think you can see that more in like Legends of Arceus, where uh-huh. the old Pokemon world was much more confrontational and like people were scared of Pokemon they were dangerous uh-huh, but now in modern times when you establish this domestification of Pokemon and people working together with them and symbiosis of all these entities with humanity, now that provides the the groundwork to create more intricate civilization as we see in the modern uh, world of Pokemon. I'd say that's a really interesting reading, but not an original intention. Mm-hmm. And the original intention is cool monsters make them fight and then people like pull them up and go, that's a little bit like making animals fight is it and there's a bit of a ah let's expand this and i don't see it as being an invalid reading but i don't think it was a conscious effort i think it the games themselves evolved and we've got really interesting discussions we could have about stuff like that now yeah but isn't that then the democratization of the game the more the more the game evolves the more it incorporates all of these aspects that come from the public absolutely it wouldn't have this much appeal if it wasn't effectively a massive community project you know that it's the number one 
most grossing franchise in the world. It's an absolutely unstoppable juggernaut. (laughs) (laughs) And Um, when you think about it, why is it? Uh, Because it provides you so many different characters that appeal to anyone. Like, I love Magnemite, which is an iron ball with a screw and two magnets and a giant eye in the middle. I love Muck which is a, a pile of sludge. I love Garboder, which is a trash bag that's ripped apart and trash is coming out of it. I love that stuff, and Pokemon provides that to me. <laughs> yeah, there's so much wide appeal. Just by necessity of like expanding its roster, it's constantly got to be forging forwards of finding new ideas and new interpretations. And while people who get caught up in nostalgia seem to hate that for some reason, it feels like, I think we've already said this, exploring the new is one of the major drives of the series. And I do find it adorable that like everyone can have their favorite Pokemon and it can be the dumbest Pokemon in existence. Someone will love it. Yes. <laughs> like Stone Journer or Ice Q. Yeah, even then. Askew, uh, the stupid penguin with an ice cube for a head. There's people out there that absolutely love that. <laughs> <laughs> or, or the new fossil abominations. But I love them because I, I knew I know paleontological history, so I know that they are based on stuff like in the Bone Wars when uh, rival paleontologists would just uh, mash up any types of fossils and bones and create chimeras. Yeah, it's such an actual funny joke, again, related to paleontology, and they do have those influences all the way through the series. The poor things are just are abominations that are suffering to exist. And the meta joke is that someone's so bad at assembling fossils They've just kind of bashed them together wrong. (laughs) It's quite fitting that that was the British area that does that as well. Well, the British people were were notorious for making fake chimera fossils. There was a guy named Albert C. Cock who created these abominations and made a whole museum of them. So, yeah, that's very much, um, like, it's an on-the-nose joke, and it's a really good one as well. And they're also pretty interesting, adorable abominations as well. Uh, Okay, as a UK person, okay, let's end with this. What do you think of Generation 8, its portrayal of your part of the world and its lore? It was a little bit miss. It was a little (laughs) bit hit. I think they have some very interesting ones. While I'm not much of a sports baller myself, I really do appreciate how the gyms work, and it's like a massive stadium that everyone's madly into, and the gym music the way it escalates with people getting wilder and wilder i really think that was a good vibe like that was the good side of british obsession with sports it was nice to see the furry type really get pushed because again ireland scotland and native britons that is something that's quite big to us again it's a, it's a bit again hit or miss i don't think it's really important to japan to have high fidelity chi but the way it works in the world was nice i enjoyed team yell just being random trouble some hooligans who aren't actually the bad guy and mm-hmm. you had the industrial city that's really underdeveloped but it's got a lot of heart and little things like that do fire well for me okay okay then i'm gonna wait for them to make a bosnia based region <laughs> in a hundred years hey they like spanish and portugal didn't really expect to be getting this much love and they were really went wild when they saw the reveal you never quite know when you're gonna get a um the slavic one it might happen it might be sooner rather than later they do need more and more regions to go to and also we do get the fun overlap okay man so let's wrap this up this was just you know a mellow episode like i already did one episode now with somebody else that I've been researching and reading their book. And then you message me, hey, I'm free tonight and you're still sick. So I'm like, okay, let's do this. Uh, this will be a fun, quirky episode. Uh, nobody will understand what we're talking about. At least you can listen to this uh, while driving. 
<laughs> I don't know. But uh, yeah, both of us love Pokemon. Uh, we're waiting for the new game to come out so we can see how they bastardized Spain and Portugal. I'm here for it. <laughs> so for the listeners, can you tell them where they can find you and plug your podcast? Hi, my name is Luke Greensmith. I have the podcast Luke Law, a folklore-based podcast. You can find it at lukelaw.com or anywhere that you find good podcasts. We've just come off the back of a really good run of some Halloween specials and Christmas is looming, so I've got a Krampus night special and a Yule special to come. And I'll make up November as it goes. Oh yeah, and now your internet issues subsided when you're plugging yourself, man. (laughs) I heard that perfectly, like... Good. (laughs) (laughs) So all the links will be in my episode description. Thank you, man, for doing this quirky little thing. I'm obviously going to release it when the games release. It's fun. We've shared a lot of interesting discussions, like the top level for Pokemon, that newer people that are uninitiated can dive in on, and older people can just bask in the nostalgia. Yes, yes. So until next time, until I think up a new mythology that Luke can help me appropriate... Bye-bye, guys. Goodbye.